The Ziggler Show, timeless inspiration from Zig Ziggler that's influenced over 250 million people worldwide, inspiring true performance in your work and life today. Welcome to The Ziggler Show. I'm Kevin Miller. I was raised on the messages and principles brought to us by Zig Ziglar, and now I'm here as your grateful and questionably humble host. Today, I bring you show number 330, and the title is Money Goal, Survival, Enough, or Abundance. Jordan Harbinger is the host of a show at the top of the charts, higher than Ziggler. You can find him at the art of charm podcast.com. We recently interviewed him on our show to give his personal story on how Zig Ziglar's message changed his life and helped lead to his show where he teaches principles of influence and persuasion that allow you to network better for business, make more friends with ease and learn to increase business contacts the natural way. We greatly appreciate Jordan's advocacy of Ziegler. Though I'll warn you, his show is much more liberal than the Ziegler show due to his variety of guests, and it has an explicit rating. Friends, I live in the business world and am privy to a lot of offerings. I see so many right now on how to speak, how to write a book, how to podcast, how to start an online business, and so, so much more, as I'm sure you've seen as well. And these are all hot button call outs. And we all want a course that tells us exactly how to do something. And, and so many of these courses and training tools are literally great. I mean, they really are. But what keeps people voraciously consuming them just like they do new weight loss plans is really that few people actually achieve success. I mean, few in regards to how many actually uh, purchase these things. So why? And I'll tell you why. It's really why Ziegler exists. The best steps won't work unless you do. Now, I don't mean unless you do lots of hard work, though, okay? I mean, unless you are functioning at full capacity is what I'm relating to. I mean, you can work a race car as hard as you want, but if it's only running on eight out of 12 cylinders, it won't be at the top. So if you want the next book or training or degree or certification or seminar or program to work, first make sure you are working at full capacity. I mean, that's just counsel, okay, regardless of utilizing any Ziegler products or services, though it is exactly why Ziegler programs often exceed most any other comparable program as they deal with making sure you are well and able to walk out the expert steps and training. If you want to check out what's going on with Ziegler, go to www.ziegler.com and check out the upcoming events. Folks, in show 328, I brought my dad, Dan Miller, of 48 Days of the Work You Love fame, onto the show to discuss, and the title was, How Much Money Are You Working to Accumulate? You can see that at Ziggler.com forward slash accumulate money. We had a really lively discussion on topics such as entrepreneurs, professional salespeople, and more. But I then posted a question on Facebook asking, what is your goal financially? That, that was it. What is your goal financially? That was the headline. And I gave a couple points to look at. Number one, do you want to just have enough to get by? Or number two, have more than needed. Or three, have a significant, substantial abundance. And then why? 
tell us why you took that answer. And I asked people to just give that explanation. 277 people stepped up and gave a reply. Thank you all so, so much. All right. Today, I've brought Dan Miller, my dad, back on the show to discuss your comments. All right. So before we dive into that and bring Dan on, I want to skip over two incredible iTunes reviews to read some constructive criticism about the show. All right. So, uh, one, two, three, four DRTY on iTunes gave a four out of five star review. Thank you. But he said this, he says, I have been enjoying the information presented in this podcast, but, and he had a big, you know, capitals, but, and it's a big, but they really need to stop telling the listeners how great they are. It's really over the top and annoying. I fast forward through their praise of themselves and their ad placement in the middle of their podcasts. If you can get beyond that, I think you'll enjoy the information. All right. Obviously, you know, I'm the one doing that. So he's talking to me, Kevin. Uh, I also traded emails this week with another great guy uh, who is not happy about the newly instituted advertisements in the show. So I read those just to share, to be, uh, to fully disclose. It's not, uh, yeah, we get plenty of cr constructive criticism here and, and I, I have to take these critiques and balance them with us also growing by 40,000 downloads last month. I mean, but both of those reviews are relevant and worthy of consideration. And I really thank both people for caring enough to offer their heartfelt feedback. I mean, reviving this Ziegler show from over a year of dormancy felt like to me, a valid endeavor when I first looked at it, but I'll admit I, I never set out thinking it would grow to the level it has. I didn't have a goal, but don't tell Zig about that. But now that things are growing like they are, we're trying to ramp up. So thank you all for listening. Thank you for that constructive criticism. I do want to make the show as relevant and valuable to everyone out there as possible. Hey, a quick call out to 1,835 people who heard the show that referenced Zig's renowned self-talk cards and downloaded them. You received a series of emails uh, to prompt you along, and the last one asked for your feedback where I said I would talk about it in an upcoming show. That show is coming, okay? So, so many of you guys, some unbelievable responses. And I mean, some real ones too. It's not just all Pollyanna stuff. Some where, you know, folks struggle with it, but then some incredible ones. I'm really eager to bring those to you. Just wanted to tell you that, uh, that those are coming up. Speaking of coming shows, the Ziegler show is about inspiration, motivation, and encouragement to help you achieve your top performance, which is only measured by you. Your top performance is as you define it. And I've focused the current show topics in three categories, just so you know and know what to look forward to. Number one, obviously, Zig Ziglar himself. I mean, his classic world-changing clips that have influenced over 250 million people worldwide. We listen to Zig, break down his message, and discuss how to truly implement the message into our lives. Generally, that's myself and Ziglar CEO, Tom Ziglar, Zig's son, that are doing those shows. Uh, number two are interviews of other top motivators, inspirers, and encouragers. And, and I'll tell you, folks, I'm not picking big names just for big names' sake. There's a lot of shows out there that primarily are interviews with people, and those are great. We want to do some of that here when it's relevant, but that's not necessarily our primary format. So we, uh, we invite folks on because they are Ziegler evangelists with personal Ziegler stories who are spreading the message today in their own lives and businesses. And some people that we're going to be bringing on, you'll know well. 
Uh, we got an upcoming guest who has one of the top syndicated radio shows on the planet, a bona fide rock star and celebrity. You'll know him well. Uh, we've got a rabbi that will be on soon. Uh, we have a CEO of a nutritional company whose energy bars happen to be Tom Ziegler's literal favorites. I didn't know that when they first talked to us. Uh, so, but you know, we're also going to have people on who you've not heard of, but who are making a significant impact in their own life and in the lives of others. And I think you'll resonate with them. Third, and the topic of today's, uh, show is Q and a questions that we want to hear from you on. So I take a question that I think is relevant or that I know is because it's been talked about by the Ziegler audience. And I post it on the Ziegler Facebook page, which got, has a uh, three and a half million uh, likes on it. And then take those responses and bring them to you. Which brings us to today's show. The title again is Money Goal, Survival, Enough, or Abundance. And as I sit high up in the Rocky Mountains at 9,000 feet above sea level, I'm joined by my dad, Dan Miller, who's sitting at about 300 feet above sea level, I think, in the rolling countryside of Tennessee on his epic 48 days compound. So while I'm looking out at uh, elk and still snow on the peaks uh, around here some, he's seen, well, actually yesterday he texted a picture of uh, some snake trying to wolf down a toad about three times its size, and, and I could hardly eat the rest of the day. Uh, but we're both enjoying where we're at. So if you aren't familiar with Dan Miller, go to 48days.com. And especially if you podcast listeners search for 48 days, it's one of the top business podcasts. If you're a Dave Ramsey listener, you will know Dan well, as Dave has referenced him for decades as the source for career and business guidance and counsel. So dad, money, survival, enough or abundance. I mean, one thing is stating, you know, your perspective and goal about how you view money today. And it's highly relevant uh, for folks in this show, though, I think to, in regards to our topic to know, you know, the, the personality from you and the, as an authority and leader like yourself. I mean, I was your kid. I ultimately experienced you go from survival to enough, uh, to abundance. And then it dipped back, big dip, big dip back down. Man, can I edit that out? <laughs> dip back. I got to not put tongue twisters in the show. Dip back down to enough, back to abundance, a, a career drop to mere survival, then a jolt back to abundance and enough ups and downs to make most people seasick, I think. Uh, and before we hit some amazing Facebook questions from the Ziegler audience, I want to look at your trajectory. I mean, today you reside at a place of financial abundance greater than most people will ever experience. And I'd couple that with an abundance of time and flexibility and work and life that are not only greatly fulfilling, but have dramatic purpose in your life and the lives of others. To get there, however, going back to my roller coaster review of your earlier journey, you did what few others would do. It's not that you're a throw all caution to the wind and roll the dice guy necessarily, but how do you explain and define not only your roller coaster? But if I reference Zig's best-selling book, the, the roller coaster of most people who we're going to see at the top. Well, there is that inevitable roller coaster that comes with the territory if you want to be an entrepreneur. So by choosing to not have a regular job where I would get 52 equal installments of pay, it kind of comes with the territory. I was listening to Darren Hardy this morning 
on a podcast, you know, publisher of Success Magazine, and his latest book is titled The Entrepreneur Roller Coaster. And it, it, we just kind of expect that. Frankly, that doesn't terrify me a whole lot. I mean, if it were predictable, I'd do something to sabotage it. You know, twice in business, I've kept business too long where I did start to sabotage it simply because it was successful. And because of that, it was boring to me. Mm-hmm. So part of the part of the challenge, I mean, I, I like the challenge of not knowing exactly what's coming up ahead. So what you described that roller coaster, you know, as I look back, I mean, it wasn't as terrifying as what some people may think. Now, I'm sure I put your mom through, you know, heck here and there, but it really is just part of the way things roll if you're wired like you and I are. So it wasn't all bad. I mean, obviously, it's better to have than to, than to have not, but that's such a relative term, and it's so portrayed by the questions that you've gotten in your, from your Facebook audience. You know, what, what is enough? What does it mean to just meet my needs? I mean, those are such arbitrary terms. I mean, some people would look at what I have now and say, well, gee, that's not enough. You know, I want 10 times that. I mean, it seems that what we think is enough is just a little bit more than what we have. So if somebody's used to making $20,000 a year, you know, they'd like to have 25. If somebody's making $500,000 a year, they want to make a million. It seems to always be a moving target. So at some point, we have to decide for us individually what is enough and what does success mean. And success has a whole lot of impact aside from just what we have in our financial portfolio. You, As you well know, Kevin, I put a high priority on physical, relational, spiritual, community, success. Those are things that are equally as important as what I have in the bank. And, and really for me, and this seems kind of counterintuitive almost, I've always thought that money, if you approach it directly, stays just out of reach. Money, it's almost like happiness. You don't just wake up and say, gee, I want happiness. Happiness is a byproduct of doing things that have purpose and meaning, as money is. So I, I don't approach money directly very often. I just try to do things that I really enjoy doing that I think will have value for people, and money shows up in ways that I could never even anticipate. Well, you hit on key aspects of the questions or the comments we're going to go over here in just a second. A couple of things you said that were interesting, you know, when you said it wasn't so terrifying, that is a testimony that I, I think I shared it with you, but I've definitely given other people that seeing you go through the ups and downs of business and the years where we drove a Cadillac Eldorado and the years where we drove something that I didn't want to be seen in by my friends, uh, that it wasn't terrifying to me. I mean, that's something that you gave me was peace amongst that. And we had relationship in our family and the dinner table was still the dinner table, uh, no matter what kind of food we might have on that given night, depending on where the finances were. And man, was that, I'll tell, I just want to, I've always wanted to share that more with other parents to say, let your kids see the struggle. Don't shield them because you will give them faith and uh, the, the willingness to try things and not being scared of failure. If they never see you risk and fail and recover and overcome, they'll have no ability. And man, that's one of the greatest gifts that you gave me, dad. I, I think, uh, and I've said it before, I think one of the worst things, I know this is a, 
it's a double-edged sword to say, but one of the worst things would have been to see you just go into something. Well, you were, you know, your first step when I was a baby, I guess, was in the psychology realm to go in there, get a good job, make, you know, six figures or whatever. And that was just it. I feel like, oh my gosh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have learned anything. Um, so, you know, I know it's not perfect and we all have our own stories, but I'm grateful. It wasn't terrifying to me. And the other thing you said too, you know, the roller coaster, it made me think so many people are into sports these days. How many athletes have a perfect game every time? I mean, we're used to seeing that. Oh, somebody, you know, the star quarterback, they, they won it because he was just on fire. The next week, an even more important game, they lost it because he had a bad day. I mean, we, we expect that there. Why do we expect something different from ourselves? And yet we are so bent on, on security, on safety, and we're not willing to do the roller coaster that seems to be indicative of everybody who is, as Zig said, at the top. Um, well, safe, safety and security, just by nature, are an illusion. There really is not such a thing in the workplace, especially, or financially. You know, so we have to get past that. Um, yeah, I remember times. Remember that little Volkswagen Rabbit that I bought for $125 at a yard sale? Yeah. yeah. I flipped it. You drove that sucker <laughs> back and forth across the country, ultimately flipped it on its top and uh-huh. continued driving it with a crushed top. Uh-huh. I think we sold it for more than what you got it for. <laughs> yeah. We had 125 bucks at a yard sale. <laughs> We've always had fun just making things work. Yeah. You know, and even today, I mean, I, I was uh, took somebody to lunch recently and he was in, you know, my car and he was like, oh man, you know, if I ever get sixty, seventy thousand dollars together, you know, this is the kind of car I'm going to drive. Well, I didn't want to crush his illusion, but he was in sitting in a car that I paid seventy six hundred dollars. <laughs> I mean, I've never paid sixty, seventy thousand dollars for a car. I doubt that I ever will. And also, just you know, just well, I don't know. I kind of want to have a Lamborghini, but <laughs> it's never been necessary. And and part of I don't want to make it appear that you just pretend to be something that you aren't, but people assume that we have wealth in the things that we have, you know, beyond what the reality is. Mm-hmm. We live in a very modest house. Um, but, but here's part of the deal, even with that, Kevin, as you know, you know, there ought to come a time when we don't just stretch to the max financially. And unfortunately, a lot of people do that. They just are on this, on this continuous path if they get a, a dollar more in their pay an hour, they spend a little more. Mm-hmm. You know, when they, when they uh, have a little bit of equity in their house, then they roll it up into a bigger house. They finance something bigger. When we bought the house that we're in here now, I remember we, we were actually coming out of a really tough time where I'd really screwed things up royally. But things were really turned around, and 48 Days to the Work You Love has started doing really well. I had a couple of nice advances on the book and royalties coming in. And so I went to get pre-qualified at the mortgage company and they told us, you know, we could go buy, you know, this kind of house. And I said, well, that's fine, but that's certainly nothing that Joanne and I need. You know, it's just the two of us, our children are grown. So we need something just very simple that would be kind of an author's writer's retreat, describe what we were going to need. And the mortgage guy was like, well, what are you talking about? You know, of course you get the maximum that you qualify for. Mm-hmm. That's what you do in America. You get the very max that you qualify for. Well, we bought a house that wasn't half what they said we qualified for. You know, there has to come a point where it's not just a matter of going the max on everything that you can. The max wardrobe, the max car, the max house, the max restaurants. I mean, there ought to come a time when you realize, you know, this is 
really enough. Yeah. And if, if we can afford to go to Ruth's Chris, it's still fun to take the kids to Taco Bell. I, I took Ashley, your sister, and her family to Taco Bell the other night, and our entire bill was $13.50. <laughs> you know, we joked about it. I mean, what a cool thing. Yeah. And people see me there. I talk to people there. But that's part of having a balance at some point to recognizing when is enough enough. Yeah, well, you taught me well as I drive around in my 1984 uh, Jeep. I, I think of Sam Walton and driving his Pacer and his pickup truck. I'm I'm in the same boat. Nothing works in it anymore. The engine barely does, but uh, I love the thing. Well, hey, I, I got a quick candid question for you just from me as your kid. I mean, I know full well that you generally, uh, as far as I've known, always had a goal of financial abundance, uh, which we'll get to more in this Q&A, but... And, and that that's a primary reason that you did attain it. But did you always? I mean, I actually don't know this answer. Well, I did, yes, in, in the way that you're describing it. Again, abundance is a relative term. But, yeah, I grew up very poor. I mean, I remember when we bought one cow and, you know, milked that cow by hand and then added another one. I mean, we were very, very poor. And on Christmas, I used to get like an orange and a pair of blue jeans. It would be my blue jeans for the next year. I mean, that was a typical Christmas. So there was nothing lavish and we were very, very poor. So yeah, I wanted more. I mean, I got a hold of the little um, audio program, you know, The Strangest Secret when I was about 12 years old, mm-hmm. talked about we become what we think about. And I thought, wow, can I change, you know, the things that I can have and the places I can go and the person I can be by changing what I think about became a really foundational principle for my life. And so I, I, I did. I had as a clear goal that I wanted to do more, make more, have more than what my parents did and started selling Christmas cards door to door when I was like six years old Then started picking the excess sweet corn out of the garden and taking it up to the paved road when I was about 10 years old and could drive the tractor. But I always had little ideas that I was working on and I've continued that, just exploring ideas where the sky is the limit. I have never been attracted to uh, just going to get a job with a guaranteed paycheck coming in every Friday. Now, there were times in that roller coaster that you described earlier where that probably would have been a wise idea to just go get something secure. But that never has had an appeal to me. So with no ceiling, there's also no guarantee, and that's exactly how I like it. But I always did want to have more. And at this point, you know, to realize that, you know, there are days that I make more in a day than what my dad ever made in a year in his life. Well, that's kind of humbling to know that. And I don't take that lightly because I think with that comes some responsibility then. How are you going to be a good steward of those things that you do have access to now? So it, it requires that you do take a fresh look at how you're going to live, how you're going to relate to other people, how you're going to give and all those kind of issues. Sounds like a Ziegler goals talk right there uh, in the making. Well, hey, so on that, let's go to these Facebook questions. And and folks, my first inclination with these was to group the responses by the number of uh, the numbers I had on my questions, you know, number one, number two, number three, what is your goal? But as I read through them, what came out were themes, uh, viewpoints and perspectives 
including, and I'll hit some right, you know, some of the topics are greed and helping others and earning money versus spending time with loved ones, especially kids, you know, personal freedoms and God within that. So I'm going to read some of these that kind of fall under some themes and we're going to talk about it. Folks, I'm a do-it-yourselfer, no doubt, and I know most of the Ziegler audience is made up of self-initiated people. It's amazing to me what you can find online these days, tutorials and videos that explain just about anything. But you can also waste a lot of time, get bad counsel, and have to wade through junk to find what's relevant. So our episode today is brought to you in part by lynda.com. That's L-Y-N-D-A.com. It's the online learning platform with over 3,000 on-demand video courses to help you strengthen your business, technology, and creative skills. Lynda.com is for problem solvers, for the curious, uh, for people who want to make things happen. Maybe you want to master Excel or learn negotiation tactics or build a website or boost your Photoshop skills. You go to lynda.com and feed your curious mind. Your lynda.com membership will give you unlimited access to training on hundreds of topics, all for one flat rate. So whether you're looking to become an industry expert, uh, you're passionate about a hobby, or you just want to learn something new, I encourage Ziggler listeners to visit lynda.com forward slash Ziggler and sign up for your free 10-day trial. Again, that's lynda.com slash Ziggler, Z-I-G-L. A-R. So Lisa Berg posted, she said, I just want enough to be comfortable and have a little more to give those in need. I have no need to be greedy. Christine Eckley says to have more than needed is, was her goal. I'm not a greedy person. I just want to be comfortable. I want to build a legacy for myself, and my family, and I want to be uh, hear more, have more fun and be able to get back. Uh, Christine Gross says, let's face it. We already have more than we need. If we own computers and have an education to write a post here, we have more than most of the world already. More fun doesn't cost money. And right to what you said a minute ago, Dad, she said when John D. Rockefeller earned his first million, uh, which was a lot of money in the late 19th century, and I would say, yeah, today too, he was asked, uh, now that he had a million dollars, what more did he want? And he answered, another million. (laughs) So I think more than needed has no ending. And on the other hand, contentment is priceless, just saying. Uh, Sonia Gorski, to have more than needed is most people's response. However, if we look around, we already have more than needed. So you can hear the theme there is, is the word greed was a common word. If I did one of those, I should have done, that would have been fun. Take all the responses, all 277 and run them through a wordle. Gosh, I should have done that. Darn. Uh, greed would have been one of the highlights and that's what we're gonna do is hit the highlights is greed. So, so dad on that, that is one that we know people often attribute when you start talking about money and abundance is greed. I I wonder, do they really think of it as greed? Is that a cop out? What do you think? Well, in the comments that you're reading there already, you know, another common theme is I just want a little more than I need, but that's such a relative term. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, I've talked to people who are making $30,000 and they just need a little bit more to meet their needs. And I talked to somebody who's making a million dollars and they really need a little bit more just to make their needs. I mean, I worked with a gentleman recently whose pay had been cut from like $850,000 down to about seven hundred, dollars just a reorganization in the company. Well, that's a tragedy. And he didn't know how he and his family were going to survive wow. on that. So it's really relative, but greed, now greed is a kind of an interesting word because greed means that you're really grabbing, that you want to have more, that you hold with a tight fist what you have. 
But my experience is that people who have a lot of money are the least greedy people that I meet. Greed actually consumes those who have very little. Mm-hmm. They're the ones who are Africa. It, it is appalling how people will steal without thinking twice about it. It's just, if, it, if I have it, it's mine. It's no longer yours. If I was able to get it, it's mine. Mm-hmm. Greed is something, even and people are obsessed with money who have very little. It's people who are at the bottom of the socioeconomic ladder. People who are making 10 bucks an hour who seem to be so obsessed with money and having it and getting it and protecting what they have, whereas people who are wealthy seem to open it with open hands. I mean, you and I both know, you know, friends of ours who have made lots of money, we can go use their cabin anytime we want to, their four-wheelers, their boats, their lodges, anything we want. We have invitations all over the world from people who are very wealthy, and they offer their wealth, they share it readily with others. So sometimes fingers are pointed at those who have a lot of money, people saying they're greedy. No, I think it's exactly the reverse of that. Having more, if you really earned it and didn't get it inappropriately, that's another issue. But if you really earned it, those people tend to share it readily with others. Okay. Well, I just literally wrote a note as you said that last statement uh, in regards to those who earned it or got it inappropriately, because I've experienced that as well. People who had wealth that they had, they had, it was an, you know, an inheritance or, or, uh, or something of that nature. And I've seen them not be that abundant with them, but then it, yeah, it feels obvious they didn't earn it. So they don't have the confidence that they could go earn it again. What they've got, they got to keep. Exactly. And that's a dangerous position to be in. Yes. We have a, a neighbor who got a couple million dollars as a result of a lawsuit. He's the greediest, most self-centered person I think I've ever met. I've talked to him about having something outside of himself to give his days meaning, like being involved with the young guys that I work with through Narrowgate, a program that really helps young guys who have made bad decisions and turns them into really godly men. He's like, oh, no way. They just want your money. Hmm. Well, you know, he totally misses the point. But you, you have that sense sometimes if money was gotten what I call inappropriately, yeah, where you don't have the same kind of mentality about it. But people who have earned money – have the confidence that they can restore it, that mm-hmm. they can earn it again. That's when, when I talk about the roller coaster financially that you describe. One day we're driving El Dorado, the next day we're driving a $125 Volkswagen Rabbit. Yeah. It, it was never that terrifying because I always had the confidence that I could come back and do it again. I don't feel that way about broken relationships, about physical health that goes away. Some of those things are really difficult. Those would be tragic to have to cut her. But money, my gosh. I mean, there's a thousand ways to go out and make money again. And I don't want to see that lightly because I know a lot of people, you know, listening, certainly a lot of people struggle to seemingly just make ends meet. But there is a mentality about what it takes to become rich. On my podcast, the 40 Days podcast, not too long ago, I talked about this and I asked my listeners to tell me, what does it take to be rich? And they sent in some characteristics. And I, there are 10, if you don't mind. I'll just run through please, them real quick. Please, please. Because it was really insightful. These are the characteristics my listeners said are required of people who end up rich. Number one, they expect success. Number two, they create a clear plan. Number three, work hard. Number four, avoid debt. 
Number five, they're teachable and lifelong learners. Number six, exercise self-control persistence and delayed gratification. Number seven, they accept personal responsibility. Number eight, they keep good company. Number nine, they're opportunity conscious. Number 10, they enjoy the present but plan for the future. There's some really key things in there. Having wealth, ending up with wealth, is more a mindset than it is being lucky or than it is being compensated for your work even. It's a mindset. And I often talk to people about you need to think like a millionaire before it's ever going to happen to you personally. There are thinking things that you can do. I talked recently about the fact that I go to the country club often for lunch. I have my lunch meetings there. Well, it's a really fancy place. It's the Vanderbilt Country Club, and it's where they have like the Vince Gill um, golf tournaments and things like that. Now, I'm not a golfer, but I just go there. Well, people may think, well, gee, that's easy for you, you know, to pay the $25,000 a year membership fee. Well, guess what I pay? Zero. I don't pay any membership fee. I wouldn't do that. It's not important enough to me. I pay zero, but I can go there, have a lunch, and my favorite lunch, it's a Southwest wrap. It's $6.75. So we're not talking about expensive food even. It's just regular priced food, but it's just there. A mom was there the other day uh, with her friend Gail Hyatt, and they were sitting right in between Michael W. Smith and Daryl Waltrip. Mm. Well, those are the kind of people, so you're, you're spending time with people who are high achievers, who think differently. Then, so we go there for lunch rather than going to TGI Fridays and hearing everybody you know, moan and complain about the boss and the economy being bad and the wrong politicians in the White House. It's just you choose to spend time to keep good company. That was one of the points in that little list I just read there. Yeah. But there are things that you can do to position yourself for wealth that are seemingly totally unconnected with even making money, but they set the stage for money to show up. It's common knowledge that whatever you can do from your home or office instead of having to commute elsewhere is a drastic time savings. One area that's remained pretty old school, however, is the post office. Until now, if you do much of any mailing at all, stamps.com is revolutionary and they are offering Ziegler Show listeners a four-week no-risk trial right now. You can do your mailing online and on demand from the comfort of your home or office. Literally, anything you can do at the post office, you can do right now and anytime, 24-7 from a computer and printer. Stamps.com boasts over 500,000 small business customers and their service is ridiculously simple and easy with top-notch U.S.-based tech support. So Ziggler listeners, go now to stamps.com and click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in Ziggler, Z-I-G-L-A-R. You'll get a four-week no-risk trial and a $110 bonus offer that includes a digital scale and up to $55 in free postage. That's stamps.com. Click on the microphone on the top left and enter Ziggler. Well, I want to, I want to hit on something that you said just before we leave this aspect of greed, uh, because the next topic is relationships. It's people, so many people talked about, um, well, you know what, here, let me read them. And then I'm going to, I'm going to kind of combine those two. Okay. So Megan Culver, she says, uh, the dream is number three, which was abundance. It is not realistic for me personally, because in order to achieve it, I would have to sacrifice too much valuable time with my daughter. Uh, it's, it's, it is attainable to be just at, you know, uh, survival mode, having a little extra makes me feel more secure. Uh, and I'd like to have peace of mind if there is an emergency, but it's time with my daughter. I don't want to wreck that. Darren Sparks 
says, uh, I am at number one right now. My children make up for more than number two or number three, which was, you know, have an abundance or a little bit more than they ever could. So I'm no longer looking for them. I, I will never pay for time not spent with my children. Uh, Charlene Campos says, uh, the best part, if I make money, it's God's will. The best part is I'm not sacrificing time from family to get to number three, which was abundance, which is what most people regret at the end. So let's take that. So that was a common thread. Again, I read three out of a whole bunch of those that talked about that, 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 that money comes at the expense of relationships is kind of what we call out of that, which I think when they talk about greed, that's what, you know, people watch the wall street you know, you know, the the old movie Wall Street or something like that. And it comes at the expense, you know, yeah, he's got a millions of dollars, but he's got three divorces and his kids don't talk to him. And that's that perspective of greed. Okay. So I'm going to take that and I'm going to come to something else in all my years of helping people become self-employed. A lot of times people would say, ah, you know, it was a drawback to self-employment. It's going to own you. You know, you're going to end up being a workaholic. You said one time, I don't even know if you remember it. It might've been one of the events that we did together. And you said, you know what, if, if somebody does that, they would probably do that anyways. That's probably their nature. And so even if they had a job, they'd be the one that was the first one there and the last one there, last one to leave. They're just a workaholic anyways. It doesn't have anything to do with self-employment. So let's take that and come back here. If somebody's going to have, going to be greedy and go after money to wreck relationships, is it really money that's at the issue? Or is that just the type of person they are anyways? So with that, I mean, you know, looking at that, do you, so there's a couple topics in there. That's one. And the other, do we see people who have an abundance of money doing it at the expense of relationships? Well, yeah, you've got a couple questions in there. One is there's really a fallacy in what's implied. We are used to being paid for our time. That's what's the very bottom of our economic ladder. So if you're making $10 an hour, Well, you figure if you want to make more money, you work more hours, you work overtime. So we have that direct connection. The more time you put in, the more you make. That is really an economic fallacy. That's not the way it works. We have to get away from that thinking. When you start working on projects and start getting paid for results, all of a sudden time is not an issue. So people who are making a lot of money, I mean, we can follow Dave Ramsey around. He spends more time down at the lake on his boat than what people would ever imagine. You know, he goes to every single University of Tennessee ball game because he enjoys it. He goes to every single Titans game. He he does things, tons of things that are just free time and playing because he's worked in balance. I, this week, had a a call with, with my mastermind. One of the members of my mastermind is David Hancock. He's CEO and founder of Morgan James Publishing. They're the seventh largest publishing house in the country. They've done all kinds of New York Times bestsellers with Jeff Walker and Brenda Bouchard and others. David's schedule is this. He's in the office at the crack of 10 o'clock. He has a two-hour lunch break, and usually just with family member or friend, and he's out of the office by 5 o'clock, and he has that rigorous schedule Monday through Thursday. Now, you do the math on that. We just described 20-hour work week. He's extremely successful. That's his work week. It's not, he's not obsessed with, well, if he did that, if he does what he does now in 20 hours a week, if he works 60 hours a week, he'll triple his success. It doesn't even work. There's not even that correlation. 
people who really understand success realize it's not a correlation between time and best. It's a matter of doing something that matters, having projects that have a big impact, creating residual income. I mean, there's a whole lot of factors that go into how you create wealth and how you create time freedom. I mean, Kevin, as you know, you know, most of my income comes from know, books and products that I've created, things yeah. that are out and going, even while I'm sleeping or if I'm, you know, out in Colorado visiting you guys like we did recently. That has very little impact on my income because it's not connected to time. So again, it's one of those tough things that people at the very bottom of the economic ladder kind of get trapped in. But if they can get their uh, their head around the fact that it's not a connection between time, you don't have to sacrifice time with your children to make more money. You may have to do work in a different way than what you're used to. But, you know, I hope that I never, you know, sacrificed time with family because I needed to put in more hours to make more money. I was always looking for what are the things we can do where we can shape them. One of the reasons I always have been self-employed is so in times like when you turned 10 years old and started racing bicycle motocross, my gosh, you and I used to leave a lot of times on Thursday afternoon and come back on Monday because mm-hmm. we were traveling, going to races. I couldn't have done that if I had a real job. I could do that only because I didn't have a real job. I had a business, but the business didn't consume me and cause me not to be able to be with you at the races. It allowed me to do those very things. Grant, yeah, and you may work uh, you know, a long day those other days. But I, the flexibility allowed you. Well, it makes me wonder. And folks, I do want to oh, two things actually. One, this show is going to go long, and we're going to keep going because it's it's just rich and it's based off of what you guys sent us. So we're going to keep it all. So this is a longer show than normal. Uh, if you can withstand the time, Dad, you good. Yeah, I'm good. Okay. All right. Well, and and the other thing is it's not to take everybody's responses and just negate them, folks. I mean, that's not the intent at all. I mean, everything that's said here, I I think we sympathize with and and understand. But, of course, we want to take what the common perspective is and try to flip it around and look at, wait, is that really the reality? Does that really – does that really beg out to what the truth is? Because even on this, back to what you said, that you often find people. No, not you, you. You were just the messenger. No, it's it's statistically that those who are at the bottom of the income ladder generally are more consumed with money. Is that is that greed? Well, this too, time with kids and family. I, I know that in my own experience and working with people who are pursuing business. Uh, small businesses that, you know, it may be hard, but as that business increases and succeeds, they often are not just hanging around doing nothing. They're really busy, but they're busy with other things that they've now put in hobbies and family and relationships and yeah, balance, as you said. And I'm wondering again, do we see people spending more time with, you know, kids and family that have, uh, that are in survival mode or who are in a place of abundance? Well, hey, the next the next topic here uh, that people hit on. Well, here let me let me give you a few a few comments. Brooke Kelleher to have more than needed. I want to be able to live comfortably, not stress about finances, and have just enough fun money to explore with, but not too much where others are going to either think I can loan them funds, bail them out of trouble, or even just change the way they are with me due to my blessed financial situation. Money doesn't buy happiness, but society sure thinks it does. Vanessa Dyer follows that. She says, I'd like to just uh, make more than needed. A significant abundance could potentially, could potentially cause me problems. I would like to have enough to continue to do what I do now, tithe and pay bills, but also give freely to those who need it. 
Uh, Kim Kimmy says, enough to be comfortable. Being rich would be nice, but more money seems to bring more problems to people. I just want to be able to afford a few nice things. Yeah, so we've got a, and this this wasn't the biggest thread, but there was enough of them that I culminated them together and say, does money not, it doesn't buy happiness, it causes problems, uh, temptation, it's dangerous. And okay, so we're given, we, we got to give Dave to give us a stipend for this show. We keep talking about him so much. So that I remember, so when I was uh dad, before I got married, went through a premarital counseling course and they brought Dave in. This is back when he was not, not quite the star he is today, but he talked about that. I think it was probably part of all of his, his stuff. He said, Hey, money is just money. It's, it's like a brick. You can throw it through a window or build an orphanage with it. It's just, that's the first thing I thought of when I read this. Um, but obviously there is a propensity for folks to think money causes problems. And of course they've seen some bad examples of that. True. Yeah, absolutely. But there, there's a really interesting concept. And again, I don't want to be the, the guy that negates everybody's comments mm-hmm. here, but there's a common theme here that I think we can really help people understand. There's a recent book titled The Big Leap, and in that the author talks about what he describes as the upper limit challenge. Now, here's how that works. We see a kid who lives in the ghetto, and all of a sudden we discover he can play football. We bring him out of there, bring him into the major leagues, into the NFL. He gets a $10 million bonus. Six months later, he's sabotaged his career. He spent the $10 million and more, and he's back where he was six months prior. He sabotaged all that because his sense of deserving did not match the reality of where he was. Hmm. Now, we all deal with that, but when we talk about our expectation that money brings problems with it, guess what? We just created an upper limit there that we aren't likely to break through. If we really think money brings problems and unrealistic expectations of others and all that, we probably aren't going to have enough to put ourselves in that situation. We have to clean our thinking about what money really is, that it is a positive asset. You know, our our friend, Rabbi Daniel Lappin, uh, I asked him one time, we were in a small group, and Dave Ramsey was in there as well, a small group of us, And we ask him, you know, does God want us to be rich? And he said, God wants us to be obsessively preoccupied with the needs of others. Hmm. And he stopped there. But guess what happens? If you do that, then money will show up, often in unexpected ways. But if we aren't prepared emotionally and spiritually to handle the money, it'll go away. We'll get rid of it. So it comes back down to our sense of deserving That upper limit challenge is something that we see in a lot of areas. I mean, there are people, even with their health, that bring on sickness because you hear their comments, oh, you know, it's just too good to be true. Or even in their relationships, well, things are really good, but, you know, I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop. Those are all things, worry, sarcasm, deflecting deflecting uh, compliments. Those are all indicators of that upper limit challenge. And a lot of us prevent wealth from coming our way because our mindset doesn't allow it. Now, that I know this is a tricky kind of thing to just wake up and decide you're going to be different, but it's a very real issue that keeps a lot of people low when there's no reason for them to have to stay so low financially. Well, and ultimately, we're talking about the heart of why we're here, and it's paradigm shifts that we all need. I mean, my God, we look in the Bible and how often 
are we seeking? Is there talk on revelation? God, open my eyes to see what I can't see. Open my ears to hear what I can't hear. And I find myself so often praying for revelation, often when I have had it and realized, oh my gosh, I cannot believe I was that blind. And I get to the point of thinking, man, I'm, I'm arrived right now, right? And it's going to be tomorrow when I wake up and realize the blindness that I have. God, give me revelation. So we're talking about paradigm shifts here. Do we have unhealthy perspectives uh, on things. We're, we're often talking about that in the Ziegler show and you and your 48 days uh, show. So hopefully we're doing that today. Well, okay. So uh, what you just said goes right into the next common theme that was the predominant theme theme that I am questioning uh, some. So say again, your quote from Rabbi Daniel Lappin to be obsessively keep going. God wants us to be obsessively preoccupied with the needs of others. With the needs of others. Okay, so here's a couple. I'm not even going to, I'm just going to read a handful because it's just, it was rampant. It was the number one theme here. So, um, and my goodness, I'm grateful that we have listeners from all over the world and I'm going to sabotage their names. Um, let's just say Shema. Muhammad Mogahed to have substantial abundance because I want it to have enough to help others. Um, I'm just going to read last names. Peniel have a significant substantial abundance to be able to help the needy. Uh, Katrina Wiltshire to have more than needed would be lovely so that I and my family are comfortable, but more than that, I can help my family and friends and the community at large. Uh, Michelle Frank, my goal financially is to have more than needed. I'd like to be out of debt and be able to help others who are less fortunate. Stephanie Pyle, I have a, I have a significant abundance, a substantial abundance, so I can share with those who don't have it. I, I mean, I can go on and on and on. I mean, we could probably hit every country in the world uh, by the submissions here that are to help people for my needs, to support the church, help people, uh, help other people in other countries. I mean, just some incredibly heartfelt things. So, Two things there, and you mentioned one of these, uh, Dad, before we even started the show. There's two things there. One issue was, uh, does it really help all these other people that everybody wants to help by giving them money and providing them money? But then the other thing, and it does go to, to what the rabbi said, that I'm questioning is just the altruistic motivation of I want more money just to help other people. To me, it feels like it's sidestepping any personal desires. And I, and I, when I look at people like what, you know, you, you've, you know, so many people, I mean, we both do so many very affluent people. I see them helping others in dramatic ways, far more than those who are in survival mode, but I don't see them lacking self-interest and enjoying their money for their own benefit as well. And I wonder, can we just be totally, uh, uh self-sacrificing and altruistic and never gain enough money to help people there. there there's a, there's a ball of, there's a ball of topic there, I guess. Um, is being altruistic enough? Are you going to gain money? And I don't think that that's in a contrarian perspective to what rabbi said. Do you think? Well, he has some additional insight to that. I, I'll okay. create a visual picture for us here in a little bit, because a lot of times we as Americans think that the most godly thing we can do is give everything that we have, give it away. But what we do is essentially kill the golden goose. I mean, you can't give out of an empty cup. Now, in in the book, Thou Shall Prosper, written by our friend Rabbi Daniel Lappin, it talks about the service that a Jewish family has on Saturday night. It's called the Heaven Law Service. 
And as part of that, there's a symbolic part of that service, the meal together, where they have a goblet on top of a saucer. They pour wine into the goblet and continue to pour until it's full and continue to pour as it runs over into the saucer. Symbolically, what they're saying is we're going to go into the workplace this next week and we're going to do such great work that we fill our own cup completely and then have excess out of that abundance to help and give to other people as we wish. But it's an obligation to fill their own cup first. Somehow we distort that and we think that we're, we're being really godly by having an empty cup. We don't have anything to offer the world if we have an empty cup. We need to fill our own cup. Now, the, 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 the challenge in that illustration is how big is that cup? I mean, if it's a, if it's a thimble, <laughs> you're going to run out of your own needs. By way. If it's a swimming pool, you're going to never fill it up and just keep thinking you're going to fill your own cup. So there has to be a realistic boundaries by which you decide what does that mean. But it's healthy. It's godly. It's a better basis for serving to first fill our own cup and then give out of abundance rather than scarcity. So a lot of it, you're just coming back to stewardship. I mean, it's still a stewardship issue. I, I, I think I think my question or, or part of my pondering, though, went off on, you know, is for a motivation to get up and do the hard work, is altruism enough? I mean, I, I generally see people, and actually I'm going to get to some que- or, or some a few comments where people, they do have some personal things that they want. And, and is that is that wrong? Do we deem that wrong? I mean, you enjoy your money and uh, you have things that you have, okay, not a $70,000 car, but you know, you have fun toys and you have some things. And I mean, that's part of the motivation. I heard somebody once say, you know, sometimes we really get on ourselves for our self-interest, but we serve a self-interested God. Uh, that's still part of us. It's still part of our, our being. Is there some room for some, uh, what, what, de- what people deem selfishness, but man, there are some things that if I don't, I, I want a little payoff for myself, you know, you know, one of the things that Ziegler was so famous for was his wheel of life, which I have borrowed as long, along with thousands of other people but there's seven areas there and we want health in all of those areas, success in all of those areas. It would be, it would, it would be counterintuitive. It would, it would be somehow it would not fit. It would be an out of balance wheel. If I were really healthy physically, healthy, spiritually, healthy in relationships, socially, but I were absolutely depleted financially. Mm. And you could take any of those and say that, It's not egotistical and self-centered to say, I want success in all of those areas. Mm -hmm. And in having success in all of those areas, then I'm in a position to be altruistic in whatever way that I want. So, yeah, I like nice cars. Yeah, we like to go to nice places. And mom likes to dress nice. Now, she's very realistic about that. My gosh, I mean, she you know, looks like a million bucks without having spent a million bucks to get there. And I appreciate that. But yeah, being altruistic, again, doesn't mean that you deplete your own coffers totally. I know people will pull examples out of the scripture about the widow who gave her last two mites and all that. There's certainly lessons to be learned in all of that. Mm-hmm. But in, in the reality of the way we look, it's healthy to be successful in those areas. And you can give without resentment. Now, another issue that we're going to you know, have to roll into is how do we best give 
to help people. I mean, that's a big issue. I mean, a lot of people and a lot of the comments, you know, indicate, I wish that I, you know, could just write checks. Well, let, let me just say this. If, if you have a lady in your community and she's been on welfare and now the welfare payments for whatever reason are cut off. And so you agree to pay her rent at $500 a month for the next year. Is that the most helpful thing that you could do for her? And I would, of course, beg to say, no, it's not. In some ways, that doesn't really help her. That enables that person and keeps them down where they are. That's not a helpful act. And that's tough to do because we're so accustomed, especially in America, to think that we're going to address poverty by giving people money. No, we don't help people out of poverty by giving them money. All we do is keep them in poverty by giving them money. How's that for a hot potato? That, that's, yeah, I'm, I'm going to get feedback on that one. <laughs> hey, hey, no, that's, that's, that's the stuff. Um, you know, it made me think even, too, I mean, people are here because of Zig Ziglar and their love and trust. And is there another guy who has, who, who has given more to humanity than he is? And I got to say, and I'm not here to justify, we, we don't have a car sponsor, uh, car sales, but that guy liked nice cars. He liked his arrow. <laughs> he liked his arrow shaped pool in his backyard. You know, I don't think that was the most altruistic thing in the world, but he had, he had a few nice things as well as he was from his abundance blessing 250 million people, you know, worldwide. Well, you know, on this personal aspect of, of having some things for ourselves, I gotta, I gotta read a handful. I mean, Joseph Hoover says, I want to be financially independent without being a slave to an alarm clock. Or, or be a part of someone else's dream, like an employer. I want to be free with being able to do what I really want to do. Man, I, 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 I resonate with that guy, absolutely. Uh, Jamie Stewart Ulrich. Um, you know, sustaining my modest lifestyle is okay, but I would, number three, abundance. That's my actual goal. This will enable me to provide luxuries, like vacations that don't involve a tent for my children, save for retirement, and help pay for college instead of that having to be a choice. Uh, Melissa Hall says, I want to spend it on a big horse ranch and a studio to work out of and have fun. So here's one, Kenneth uh, Kilfoyle. I want to have financial abundance because I will never sleep around a kerosene heater again. That was it. I I felt that there's some pain there that will probably motivate that guy to get where he wants uh, to go. This is an interesting one. Josephine Dalton. She says, I'm at at number two right now. I've I've got a little more than I need, but I'm building assets so that in two years I can retire from job employment, pay off all my debts and start saving to buy a home with cash. As for why, I think there are many factors. My skill sets uh, don't allow better pay, although in this town, Vegas, there are a few better, way better paying jobs in my profession. She's a bartender, but I'm an older female in the sexist and ageist city, and I have not racked up enough experience for the better paying bartending jobs that don't take into account my gender or age, nor do I know the right people. Uh, and I wouldn't want to associate with them, the drugs and alcoholism. And sounds like excuses, not more like legitimate reasons not to dedicate five to 10 years of my life to max out at 65 grand a year and still trade time for money and having to market uh, to get that business. I'd rather dedicate those years to building something that will eventually create a residual cash flow that will pay me for the rest of my life and grow exponentially over time. Now, I read all that because I thought that's, she's thought that out. She's got some specific things, some specific goals, some specific motivating factors. And, and that's, now we're getting in line of goal setting, of being specific, of having tangible reasons, tangible 
uh, outlines, which, you know, again, now this was Facebook, so this wasn't the, the place where people were getting super in-depth. But reading that, I thought, she's got more apt to getting further ahead than, uh, than most people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's those kind of things. Having a purpose is what gets us up in the morning. Incidentally, you know, I haven't used an alarm clock for, I guess, 35 years. I mean, <laughs> never do. I, I go to bed when I'm tired, and I get up when I'm rested. Now, I'm an early morning riser. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm usually up by 5 o'clock. But I, I don't have an alarm clock that jars me. Of course, we remember what Zig said about the alarm clock. We ought to call it an opportunity clock anyway, even <laughs> if we have it. But uh, I, I get up because I'm rested. I'm excited about what I'm going to do, the things I'm going to work on during the course of the day. And I just approach every day like that. But it has a lot to do with our, in our mentality and about having things to do that we enjoy, that we think have purpose, rather than feeling like we're you know, on, a, on a railroad track with a locomotive right behind us. I mean, that's the power, though, of, of just setting goals, like the last listener there you were talking about, you know, having those clear goals, that really changes our perspective. That allows us to get up in the morning, do things that we enjoy, and ultimately have the kind of financial abundance that a lot of people here are talking about. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, uh, I think I have an inspiration clock. I try to sleep in sometimes, but as soon as my eyes open, I start thinking on some idea and I'm, I'm done. Well, hey, last one here. And we'll we'll get into a little bit of deep water here as we as we wrap up. Uh, Jonna Shortsleeves, which that's a really interesting last name. Shortsleeves, that's her that's her name apparently. I would love to say number three, but at this season of our lives, I'd be happy with number one, which is mere survival. We take for granted the little things, and right now it'd be great to have enough to keep my lights on and a roof over my kid's head. But God willing, things will turn around soon, and we will come out on the other side stronger than we are. Well, for the sake of time, I'm not going to read any more. I'll just let you know that there were a significant amount of posts that were, in that sense, if God wills, uh, whatever God wants. Uh, So the last one I'll read here then is from Ziggy Dougherty. He says, you do realize that this is a test. He's talking about my question here. Just about everyone said more than I need and gave answers why. If you want more than you need, you need to do the work for it. If you don't work hard uh, for, for the more you need, you'll never appreciate it. Have, having more than I need, and I realized that I didn't take, uh, it took more than just an overnight, and it wasn't easy at all. If you want to get after it, the only person stopping you is yourself. So I'm going to take those two ends of it, Dad, and, and put that hot potato in your lap. You've got a lot of people, and if it's God's will, uh, and then we've got Ziggy here saying, no, you go out and work for it. So which is it, God or you, huh? How's that for hot potato? I'll leave you. <laughs> I'm going to go to the bathroom while you answer that. Uh, yeah, that, that one, we could spend a whole lot of time there. I, I really don't even know how to frame that, you know, if it's God's will. Well, well, if we take that to an extreme, then I shouldn't have to get out of bed in the morning. I should just be able just to lay there all day. If it's God's will that the mortgage gets paid, then so be it. If it's not his will then there's nothing I can do about it. I mean, when I, uh, I mean, today I ran out for lunch and it's raining really hard here right now. So I needed to get gas. So I pulled in there and I could think, well, now if it's God's will, somehow gasoline will just get into my tank and God himself will show up and open the cap 
and take the pump and put it in. But it doesn't work that way. We always have to be in conjunction. Our, our hands are God's hands. And it's not superseding God to say that next year I want to make a million dollars. And here's my plan for doing that. A lot of people get caught up in thinking that somehow that's overstepping God's will, and thus they live lives of mediocrity and just stay at the bottom and then complain about, you know, God not blessing them. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, this is, this is a fine line, and certainly theologically, you know, where do we overstep that and thinking that it's just all us? There's a quotation that I use, and I, I always get negative comments when I use this. But it comes from Stradivari. Great. Thanks for bringing it here. <laughs> yeah. It comes from Antonio Stradivari, who made violins. Yeah. And it's this. When any man holds twixt chin and hand a violin of mine, he will be glad Stradivari lived, made violins, and made them of the best. If my hand slacked, I should rob God, since he is the fullest good, but he Stradivari's violins without Antonio. Now, people object to that. They think, well, sure, God could make a Stradivari violin. But how does that work in reality? How do we really see that happen? If somebody's going to make you know, a new Tesla mo- uh, car, it's not because they just thought about it and prayed about it. Frederick, Frederick Douglass, you know, African-American theologian and author, you know, said, I, I uh, prayed, prayed for years and got no results until I prayed with my legs. Meaning he had to create a plan and act on him. We see the apostle Paul in the Bible. You know, he didn't just pray about things. He was very specific about, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go there. I'm going to tell these people to stop doing that. I'm going to build this. I'm going to make these things happen. We have to realize we're working in conjunction with God, not instead of. And so is God sovereign? Sure. But do we know what that means if we do nothing? If we do nothing, our results are going to be nothing. And I'm a big believer. And if I'm going to err, I'm going to err on the side of thinking it's my responsibility, not God's, to make things happen and get the results and be able to bless my family and bless others around me. And that's the way that I see it working in most people's lives. Well, what's it, old- it almost goes back to, Kevin, I hate to bring this up again, but it almost goes back to, you know, people pray for God's favor and blessing and they buy a lottery ticket Yeah, and they think that's going to be God's way to bless them. Ah, that doesn't work. That that's an artificial connection between thinking God's going to bless you. When you buy a lottery ticket, you're gambling. No, create a plan, do something to get in the game and then watch God's blessings unfold. It feels, it feels in essence, you're saying, what is God's call? on your heart. If it is to bless people, it is the, to, to, to do that. How should you do that? And then we get into the theology of how, how much micromanaging is God doing it, uh, doing in your, in our lives. If he wants you to bless people, he wants you to give to those less fortunate or who can't provide for themselves. How does he want you uh, to do that? And what plans and efforts does he want you to make? And that's, I, I'm tempted to say, um, let's take, let's take some of this question and post it on Facebook. We'll do the next Q and a on it. Cause it's, it's a big one that we sure don't sit here and say, we've got it figured out, but God does seem to be high on the aspect of using natural law, calling on people to do things that of course he could have done himself, but he calls on us. So what is his calling in our lives? What's the best wisest way to go about in doing it? 
Uh, man, I love the I, I love the these questions, Dad. I love the uh, the hard bringing. That's that's the point. Let's get to the nitty gritty. Um, yeah, I, I do too. Yeah. You know, I do. Do I pray for inspiration from God when I sit down to write? You better believe it. I mean, I'm in constant state of prayer and asking God to to bless my work and to give me words to write that'll inspire people, but that'll also lead to people buying books and programs and attending events, all of those things. But do I just, you know, come in in the morning, turn my computer on, and then, you know, go sit under a tree for eight hours and come back and hope that God wrote the next chapter of that book? It's just not a realistic proposition. I need to be engaged in that. Use the talents that God has given me. God gives us the, the seed of a talent, and it's our responsibility to develop that into something meaningful. And that takes work and practice and dedication and hours, but it then can blossom into something that's meaningful and financially productive. Well, there you go, folks. That's why we bring you the best at The Ziegler Show. Thank you again, everyone, for the, those 277 comments that I know spoke. Each one spoke for so many people. I hope something today resonated with you. I hope that it helped possibly change an unhealthy perspective and give you a new paradigm and a healthy way to look at it. And I hope that it gave you hope. That is the point. That's what Zig devoted his life to. Uh, He instilled it in my dad who gave it to me. And what an honor to sit here with you, dad, and bring it to everyone today. Thanks for your time, folks. Thanks for uh, those of you who listened this long into this long show. I think it was, I think it was valid. Appreciate you coming to tune in. We'll be back with you next time. Thanks for tuning in to The Ziggler Show. Sign up for new show alerts at ZigglerShow.com. You can have everything in life you want if you'll just help enough other people get what they want.